Good morning, church. So glad we have a packed house this morning. Welcome. If you're watching on Facebook, so glad you could join us from the comfort of wherever you are or discomfort. We're glad you're here. If we haven't met before, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I work with our adult ministries, our next steps, and I'm on the teaching team, so I get to hop up here and provide my two cents and share what God is teaching me. We just wrapped up four weeks on The Elephant in the Room, which was our finance series talking about how God's got a plan for his money that he's entrusted you with. And I think that was a great discussion for us to have. And now we're going to jump into two weeks on community. And I think community is one of the next big rocks that we need to tackle. As we understand our finances, it's a whole lot easier to get your finances in order when you have community, when you have accountability. So we're going to spend two weeks looking at what the Bible says about community, what community means to you, what it means to me, and how we can live that out, why we should even try. And to start, I want to tell you a story about a time I went to a very important dinner. It was very important because it was only for people who lead like neighborhood associations in the city of Richardson. So really big deal. And there were really important people there. The police chief for all of Richardson's police department. He was there. The mayor of the whole town of Richardson. Like we only have one mayor and he was there. And we had a bunch of police officers, the whole city council, these elected officials. It was a big deal to Richardson. So a big deal to Richardson. And Melissa and I got to go. And we didn't know anybody there. There were hundreds of people there, probably 250 people there. And we didn't know anyone. So we sit together at a table. And there are maybe two or three other people who sat with us. And, and the police chief does a little talk, and then the, the mayor does a little talk, and then the mayor finishes his talk, and he goes to sit down at his table, which is right next to our table. And so me and the mayor are like, like this. So I know we're about to begin a budding friendship that leads to <laughs> golf games, and we're going to be texting about city policies and just a lot of exciting things. It's going to be great. And so the, the event happens. It's great. Everything's winding down. The last speaker like finishes speaking. I've already collected all my things so we can run home. And as he finishes speaking, I begin to do that lean thing you do to stand up without engaging your abs too much. And as I'm leaning, I notice that my chair flew 10 feet across the room and I was on my back on the ground. And my sweet wife did exactly what any sweet wife in here would do. She covered her mouth to keep from laughing. <laughs> and she tried to pretend like she wasn't with me. <laughs> and the mayor kind of turns around and says, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And, the, and then there was a, another guy sitting next to him who was super concerned that I was okay. But I wasn't super concerned that he was concerned. I wanted the mayor to be concerned that I was okay. But the mayor was like, oh, he's fine, great. He's not going to sue us. I'll move on. And we didn't get to be friends. Falling down in public is often embarrassing. And for me, I don't get embarrassed really easily. You may know that about me. It, it takes a lot to embarrass me. But because I was in a room of people that I respect who didn't know me, I was embarrassed. Because now they do know me as the guy that fell down at <laughs> the neighborhood function. I'm fall down guy. I'm not, oh, there's Josh. He's friends with the mayor. Oh, there's fall down guy from that one dinner where we had subs. It was great. When you're around a bunch of people that you don't know, you feel alone. But you're surrounded by people. And that word around is the way we live our lives often. We're around people quite often. Even if you live alone, you're around people. Right now, today, at this time in history, we have never been able to be around more people in the world. Thanks to the internet. 
we're around people all the time, and around is a big deal. I want to start with this passage you might have heard at a wedding before in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Did you hear me there? (laughs) But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And what that passage communicates is that it's really hard to be alone. And no matter how many people you may be around, you may be alone, lying on the ground in a room of 250 people. And if, if there's two people, one might be able to help you up. But even better than two people is three people. Because sometimes you, you may be hard to lift up. Sometimes the sorrow you're in, the fall you took, may require more assistance up. So two is better than one, yes. But three is better than two is better than one, which leads us into community. Because it's hard to be around people and need something, but no one knows that you're even there, and no one knows what you need. And right now we're in a room where there's probably three, four hundred people, and many of us don't know many people in this room. In fact, right now, why don't you just turn around and say, I don't know you. (laughs) See, it's very true. Very true. And what's crazy is that many of you in this room did not even lie just then. It's crazy. But it's, it's real. Like, we, we don't know these people. I know the people that sit next to me sometimes, but the person behind me, when am I going to turn around in church? Maybe, like, at the end when I'm ready to hurry out of here, but why else would I turn around and get to know that person? When am I going to lean forward and talk to the person in front of me? That's weird. So I'm not going to do that. But we're around people all the time. I want to share some of my around statistics with you because I'm around a lot of people. And that, that's a crazy word. Around, in my phone right now, in my back pocket, I have 1,581 contacts. That's 1,581 people's phone numbers. I don't have that many friends. (laughs) I scroll my phone contacts sometimes looking for a name and I think, who who is this person? Because I got my phone in 2003 and I've kept the same number and I just keep importing contacts. It's always easy to add a number. It's really hard to go through and see who do I not know anymore. On Facebook, where real friends are made, (laughs) I have 3,340 friends, close connections (laughs) on Facebook. And so many of them have been married and then remarried and then married again, or they go by a nickname. So when I scroll and I see people on my feed, I'm, I'm wondering, who is this person? And why are we friends? And so I'm trying to get that 3,340 number down. It's no offense if I accidentally remove you. It's just because we haven't spoken in the last six months. On Instagram, I have 1,135 followers, and I just got to 500 followers on Twitter, um, which is incorrect. I checked my Twitter last night. I'm back down to 499. So (laughs) someone in the Saturday night service did not enjoy it. Which gives you a chance to be one of my deepest friends on Twitter. And oftentimes, that's the extent 
of our connection. I'm around that many people anytime I open my Facebook app or Instagram or, or Twitter. Anytime I open my social connections, I'm connected to those people. But when I'm in a time of crisis, need, concern, how many of those people am I going to reach out to and how many of those people are going to reach out to me on a regular basis? I'm around them. They're around me. Like I could see that you're on Facebook right now. You've got a little green dot. I can see that you're on Messenger right now. But how many of those people know my needs, know my wants? And if I post about a need, about a hardship, about a time I've fallen down, how many of those people are going to engage with the post beyond just clicking the sad-faced response? Because when you click the sad-faced response, it's like, all right, I see you. I see you're hurting. And, and maybe thoughts and prayers. But I'm not like going to comment, like, hope it gets better, TTYL, let me know if you need help. I'm just going to sad face it and then move on. And the same with Instagram, like, oh, man, I'm so bummed that that happened to you. Oh, there's a cute picture of a dog and another dog. And, we, and food, great, all these things. We've forgotten that something bad happened to someone in these social communities that we exist in. When we consider the word around versus the word with, it's a big difference. Around versus with is a big difference. And I think we need to grasp that over these next two weeks to better understand who are you and what are you doing? Who am I and what am I doing? And I think there's a better way. When you're around someone, around is crowded, it's busy, unknown, random, common, service level. Those are all around type words. Because it's, it's crowded, like you don't really get a chance to connect with someone because you're too busy, or you're unknown, or you just have a reputation as the guy that fell down next to the mayor at the one dinner that you went to. Because you're just around people. No one really knows you, or you don't really know anyone deeper than that. I'm around four people in my desk cluster where I work at Spring Creek Church. At any given time, there are four people in that desk cluster, including me. Fifteen people in that one office. And then when it's too crazy in there and I need to focus, I come out to share table. And, I, and any given time, I'm around eight people at share table trying to avoid interaction with them because I just came out here to avoid interaction with 15 people in my office. So I'm out here. On average, we interact with 10 people a day and an interaction is, hi, and then you zoom past them. Or grande soy non-fat extra whip latte, extra fries, please, thank you. And... Those are your interactions. They're all just one-sided, move on. One-sided, move on. Ten people. That's on average. Many of us have less. Many of us have more. But those aren't solid interactions. When we look at with, with is a better word to consider. Who are you with? What does with mean? With is known, intentional, loved, loving, rare, and deep. Because with is kind of a two-sided deal. You're not just around someone, but you guys are with each other, together. When I go home, I'm with my wife and my children and my mother-in-law and my dog, and we, we're with each other. My best friend lives in Oklahoma City, and we're not often together with each other, but we talk on the phone a few times a week. And in those moments, we are far apart, but we're with each other in conversation. We're with each other in accountability and encouragement. 
Because with is knowing and being known. With is a give and take and a give and give and a helping out. And before you even step into a problem, the person you're with may notice that there's a problem coming. Because with is better than around. I've got stacks of research that I found that psychologists have done on human relationships and human interaction. Because since the boom of social media in 2005, over the last 15-ish years, we have seen more and more people alone, yet connected. And more and more people connected, yet lonely. And so Cigna is one of the researchers that they, they give a good flyover. But if you want more stats, I'd be happy to chat. I got pages. But in a Cigna study, they found that only around half of Americans say they have meaningful daily face-to-face -face social interactions, including an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family. And members of Generation Z, which they deemed as adults 18 to 22, for the purpose of this study, say that they are the loneliest generation and they claim to be in worse health than older generations. That study found that 43% of older adults felt lonely even though only 18% of them live alone. There's a difference between the number 18 and 43 and in that difference there's a percentage of people who live with other people yet feel alone. And I think that's a concern for us. That means there's married people who feel alone. That's, that means there's people living with roommates who don't know their roommates and the roommates don't know them because we've all become hermits and we want to avoid interaction face to face. We'd prefer to stay behind a screen. The total number of prescriptions filled for adults and children in the U.S. increased by 85% from 97 to 16, while the U.S. population only increased 21% in the same period. And those prescriptions they're talking about are prescriptions for uh, depression, anxiety, social disorders, just general concern, mood stabilizers. More people live and eat alone. More than half of all meals, 57%, are eaten alone. 34% Americans spend dinner time alone. Nearly 30% of households in the U.S. are comprised of one person. It's the second most common household type after married couples without children. So one in three people lives alone. One in three people eats alone. And I'm a dad and I have two young kids and, and eating alone just sounds so glorious. <laughs> sounds like vacation to me to think like, okay, I'm just going to sit and eat. And I'm not going to be picking things up. I'm not going to be feeding another person. I get to sit and eat. But I think this... This trait of eating alone continuously, always seeking to be alone, even though you're introverted, or whether you're extroverted or introverted, alone is not beneficial. And you may feel energized, like I went to Chick-fil-A and then there were 20 other people there, but I got my own table, it was great. I got to interact socially by making eyes at people, but then I got to not talk to anyone, which sounded wonderful. And the cycle of being alone breeds to a cycle of wanting to be alone, which leads to a cycle of sin in our lives. You can ask anyone who's been through recovery, who's overcoming an addiction, you can't overcome alone. It's, it's impossible. You can quit cold turkey, but staying off cold turkey requires community, requires accountability. You can't overcome alone because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. A cord of one strand can snap the moment temptation comes around. 
The moment hardship comes your way, the moment joy comes your way, when we're alone, we're left to our own devices. I'm an Enneagram 7, which means I'm indulgent and gluttonous. So when I'm alone, I like to eat whatever I want, which has led to some unhealthy traits in my life. But I've learned that the way I look at food, it's kind of like, this is my friend. And I don't look necessarily like someone who treats food like it's his best friend, but I, I live that way a lot. And I've learned, like, I really, the best part of my day is bluebell. <laughs> and that's, that's hard when you get in these patterns of, man, I find so much comfort in this dairy sugar mixture, or I find so much comfort in this breaded chicken sandwich. I find so much comfort in something that should not sustain me. And that leads to a pattern of being unhealthy. One of the pastors I respect a lot, named Annie Stanley, has a quote on community, talking about its need. He said, community isn't a Christian thing, it's a thing thing. And I think that's, that's where we need to realize community isn't just for Christians. This isn't something like, all right, I'm a Christian now, I guess I can join a community, I can be friends with people. Community is a thing thing. Everything, everyone needs someone or something. Every species, you can look at them, are designed to be together. Community is not just for Christians. But what if Christians showed everyone how we do community? What if Christians led the charge and this is what it's like to not live life alone? These people that I consider my family are not related to me in any way at all. And that's what community can look like when you've got other people speaking into your life, encouraging your children, helping you along the hardship, helping you in the joy, making memories with you. That's community. And I think community takes that next step and it's intentional. When we're willing to say, all right, let's, we, we got all the surface level out, let's go deeper. How's your marriage? Let's go deeper. What do you like about your job? What do you dislike about your job? What's something hard you're going through? What's the easiest thing about your life right now? And it only takes one person going first, and everybody else is kind of like, okay, that's a great question. I'm going to start asking that. Unless you're one of those people that just stop asking me questions. I don't want to talk anymore. And if that's you, then you probably need to be the first to ask the question so you get a turn to answer. Community matters. If you haven't read the Bible before, you're in luck, because I'm going to read it to you this morning. And paraphrase, we're going to do a flyover. We're going to start at Genesis 1, and then we're going to go as far as we can get in the next several minutes. Kickoff's not till noon, so we've got about an hour and 53 minutes. It's a big book, guys. Dig in. But if you haven't read the Bible before, it starts in the beginning, at the very beginning, God. And God is a creative God because God is creating things. And so he's creating like light and then darkness and then land and then water. And then on the land, he builds some trees and some mountains and some sand and some bushes and some flowers. It's awesome. He's creating things. He puts animals on the land. He puts animals in the water. He puts animals in the air. He's creating all these things, not just one at a time. He's creating all these things because it's a thing thing. And then it comes time to make man because all these animals were kind of like, oh, I don't want an aquarium. I want an interaction. And so God made man. But before he did that, God said, let us make man in our image. God said, let us make man in our image. 
Those are important word choices because our God is a triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God himself is living in community all the time. Before we were, before there was, I am is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so he made man in his image, in the image of community. Except when he did it, he just made one man. And he realized, wow, that might not be our image. Yeah, he looks, he's got the form of man. He's got the form of us, but he's alone. And it's not good for man to be alone. And so he did a really cool trick and he yanked a rib out of man. And he said, man, ribs are awesome, but I'm going to make this one rib better. And he made a woman. He made a, a helpmate suitable for the man so that he would not have to be alone. And he said, man, woman. And the man was like, wow. And the woman was like, hey. And then God said, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam wasn't like, what's fruitful mean? He was like, okay. And so they were fruitful and they multiplied. And then creation grew. And then in Genesis 3, the story changed in a big way for a long time. Because there was deception that entered the picture. Because there was perfection. But God said, just don't do this one thing. And then Satan creeped in like a serpent. And he was deceitful. And he said... Eve, woman, God doesn't want you to be like him. Don't you want to be like him? She was like, well, yeah, kind of. He said, well, just eat the fruit. He said, don't eat the fruit, but just eat the fruit. And she was like, well, maybe Adam will do it. Adam ate the fruit. And then sin enters. They realize their shame. They realize their brokenness. They realize the punishment. God issues punishment, and now there's a separation between man, God's creation, and God, the creator. And separation is not good because it's not good for man to be alone. And God wants to be with man. And so for years and generations, God said, I'm going to talk to someone who's going to talk to everyone on my behalf. And these prophets are going to help people learn what it's like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he did. He had prophets speak to his people. And they tell him, this is right, this is wrong, do this, don't do that. We should be like this, we should not be like that. And, and they did that for a season, and they were like, well, this is easier. I'm going to do the easy thing. Or this is shinier, I want the shiny thing. And so the prophet would say things, they'd do them, and the prophet would go talk to God. And by the time he turned around, there's a big golden cow, and they're like, this is our God now, it's prettier, we like it. And so for generations, that same pattern happened, and God realized something. He realized this wasn't working. And he said, these people are still alone. They're all around each other. I'm all around them, but I think I'd like to be with them. And so God pivoted. And an angel of the Lord appeared to a virgin and said, you're pregnant. She was like, what? Yeah, you are. It's God's son. Get ready. And so she had a baby. <laughs> paraphrase, remember, paraphrase. <laughs> she has a baby. And his name is Jesus. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Because he came down. And now God has a face and grace has a name and love has a place to live itself out with God's people. And that little baby grew up to be a boy who grew up to be a man who was ready to do what God called him to do. And so he began to live out the plan and model for God's people. This is what it looks like to live life. This is what it looks like to love God. This is what it looks like to really do all the heart, soul, mind, and strength that you can when it comes to loving God and his people. And I'm going to boil everything down. You should love God and love his people. And he was teaching. But before he jumped into ministry and started doing all these things on his own and saying, poof, you're healed, poof, you're healed, poof, you're healed, he said, I don't want to do this around people and just be some travel and show. I want to be with people. 
And so he found 12 of the least predictable men he could find. And he said, you're with me. Come on. 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 And he got 12 guys who shouldn't have been chosen for such a task. But he chose them. And he said, we're going to do everything together. And these guys are like, I don't know what that means, but cool. And they were on board. 95% of Jesus' ministry was with those men because he wanted to teach them and he wanted to show them what it looked like to live a life pleasing to God the Father. The joy that comes with that, the fullness that comes with that. And he said one of the best things about that is that we're doing this together because God isn't just some absent being who's like, I hope you get to heaven one day. It's really cool up here. Get your act together. God is saying, I want to be with you guys because we can have tremendous times here. We can experience his kingdom come here. We don't have to wait till we get up there because otherwise, why would we live so long? He wants us to live with. And he said, if I live with these men, then I can teach these men. I can model for these men. And he said in Mark chapter 3, uh, before we jump in, he's, he's been doing ministry. He's been doing the healings. People are gathering. He's surrounded by people. They all want to see things. They all want to hear things. They want to learn. Like, if this is really God's son, I want to learn more. Great crowd around him, and they're all following him. And so he wants to go with just his guys. And in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And then he's going to send them out. He said, guys, it's busy right now. There's so many people around us. There's so much to do. I just want to be with you. Because I know you and you know me. And I want to show you what this can look like. And I want to model this for you. And to do that, we have to be together. And so we're going to be together. So let's be with each other. And then I'm going to send you out because there's work to do. There's a task at hand. And when I send you out, you're going to be healing and driving out demons. You're going to be teaching the people what I'm teaching you. While God could come down to each one of us and look us in the eye and say, do this, don't do that, and we'd be great. The fact that he modeled it shows us that there's a pattern we can follow. We've got a pattern in his word and yeah, we can read all we want in God's word, and it's powerful, and it's useful, and it's the biggest blessing he can give us. But even more so, in his word, he showed us that modeling it mattered more than just teaching it. If you're going in for surgery, and the surgeon's like, I just read the book on how to do this, you'd have concerns. <laughs> read the book. You should, you should work on this. I want you to model that you've done this. You've earned your license. Because that's a sharp scalpel. So don't just trust someone who reads the book, but follows the instructions. Let's model this. And Jesus modeled this for us. Here at our church, we do you a favor if you're a parent. We put our kids in groups when they're three years old, all the way through high school. They're doing life in groups together. The same kids. If you grow up from a three-year-old to high school, you're going to be in the same group of kids from three and then four and then five and then K and then first and second and third. And these groups of people begin to do life with each other. They end up going to school together or joining the same soccer team or being in the same orchestra or whatever that looks like they're with. And then they turn 18 and they go off to school or they stay here and now they're around. 
unless we maintain a strategy of being with each other. And I think the practice of being with means we need to be intentional. Jesus knew his time on earth was coming to a close. He knew that he had to fulfill the prophecy. And he'd been telling these guys that he was with, he said, hey, I'm going to die to make all things new. And they were like, okay, but not like die, die. You're probably just going to like go away and then come back and everything's going to be cool. We're all going to heaven. But he said, I'm, I'm going to die. And before I do, I want to drive a couple things home for you. And so he gathered in a room. It was a big feast for Passover, a big time to celebrate and remember. And he said, I just want to be with my 12 guys. And he washed their dirty, grody feet. He said, this is what it's like to serve. You find the darkest, dirtiest places and you dive in with both hands to clean, to drive out demons, to show people what it's like to love and be loved, to show grace when you don't deserve grace. And there in that room around that table, they started to eat. I think that's important. Community often happens best around a table where there's food. Because then we're, we're sustained, we're more comfortable. If we get nervous about sharing something, we can eat another chip, just buy ourselves a second. But we're together. We're doing things that you should do every day together, and that's what with looks like. And in Mark 14, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. So this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus gave us a model to follow. He said, I want you guys to continue breaking bread together. But what I'm going to do through this ceremony is we're going to break bread differently together. Because this cup is the new covenant of my blood. For years and years, when God was around and we were separate and we were sinning, we'd have to bring perfect, clean, pure sacrifices to the temple all the time to atone for our sins. And we just couldn't sacrifice enough to cover our sins. And so God sent his son Jesus to be with us and to show us what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, to show us what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as ourselves. And he showed us that, and then God said, he's going to the cross, and he's going to die a painful death. He's going to be gone. But that is going to satisfy my wrath and establish a new agreement, a new standard that we can share together. And so that's what Jesus did. Because right after that dinner, they went, they prayed, they sang a hymn, in the garden where they were singing a hymn, he gets arrested, he gets taken, he gets imprisoned, he gets beaten, he gets spit on, he gets nailed to a cross and then hung on that cross and then pierced after he died. And he's put in a tomb, not something fancy, a borrowed tomb. Even more than that, he borrowed the tomb for only three days because the tomb was empty after three days because he came down, he conquered death just like he said he would. He ascended to heaven and he opened the door for a new covenant so that we could enter into grace and be forgiven from the sins without having to do anything. But he invites us to a table to participate with him in something. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to participate with him. We're going to do this in remembrance of him as he called.
Because this one step is us as a church being a community. But taking communion with 400 people isn't going to draw you closer to them. That's not what this is for. This is to remember Jesus. We as a church want this to be the meal that takes you to the next step that drives you deeper into community. And so we're launching community groups where you can go online, sign up, find a group that meets where and when you want to meet. We have groups meeting six days of the week so far. If there's not a time that's convenient for you, I'm not going to speak for the Holy Spirit, but maybe that's your call to start a group for that time that's convenient for you. And people will come over to your house and you open the chips and salsa and you guys can talk. And if you don't know what to talk about, you're probably thinking, man, I wish the church would just like text me or email me a link of Pastor Josh and Pastor Patrick just having a conversation telling us what questions to ask each other. Well, we'll do that for you. Make it real easy right there in your pocket. Pull it up. Okay. How was your week? <laughs> Great. Let's read this scripture together. How does this make you feel? And we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to break down barriers to be in community with each other. And maybe you're already in community with each other. I'm going to ask that you stop being around those people, that you'd start being with those people. Because you may have a reservation for 10 at Applebee's every Sunday at 4, but you guys may just talk about the game and how hard work is and then go about your day. Why don't you take the next step? Go first. Say, hey, man, what's, what's hard? Or why don't we get all the guys over here and let's talk about how hard our marriage is and how we could encourage each other. And let's get all the, the girls over here and talk about how hard our marriage is and how we can encourage each other. And then maybe if we're all encouraging each other, our marriages will get better. Or let's all talk about how we're lonely. And if we're together talking about how we're lonely, we might realize like, oh, wait, you guys are all here with me? Cool. I'm not lonely anymore. I got a friend I can text when I just finished watching that episode who watches that episode. I got a friend I can text when I just got back from the doctor with bad news. I got a friend that could pray for me because I got an interview coming up who knows me deeply. So I want to invite you into that. That's available for us. And, it, and I think it starts with doing something communal as a community. And so we're going to make it real easy on you this morning. We have stations set up around the walls. We have four stations at the front here. We have one on each side wall and one in the back. And if you get to a station and all the juice and crackers are gone, there's another one available for you. So just keep making the rounds. There should be plenty. But go to the station closest to you. And when you get there, you're going to get the bread and the cup. And you can take them right then and there, or you can go back to your seat and you can pray over them some more and you can take them there. The band is going to lead us in a song of worship so we can continue to celebrate who God is and what God has done. But who God is and what God has done should drive us to be with people because that's what God did. So this is the body of Christ, and it's been broken for you. And he broke his body on the cross. And this is Christ's blood, which was poured out, spilled on the ground for you so that you might be redeemed, for me, so that I might be forgiven of my sins. So the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, the gifts of God for the people of God is what we'll celebrate today. So I'm going to pray and the band's going to start playing and you get up as you feel led and get communion at one of these stations and then head back to your seat and let's continue to worship God as we close out our time together. Let's pray. God, you are so good 
to meet us, not just here, but to meet us where we are, where we were, in our trial, in our joy, you continue to show up. Would you just give us the eyes to see that you've shown up? Would you give us the awareness to know that you're there? And we know that that comes through being with others. So would you draw us to the next step we can take to be with people in our lives? Help us to find that with to understand that with and to determine what you're calling that with to do. So put us with people who we can love and who will love us as you have and as you've modeled. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us through your son, Jesus, the grace that you pour us through your son, Jesus, and it's in his great name that we pray, amen.